We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your True Faith podcast. Charlotte Robson here with Adam Widrington and very special guest, friend of the podcast, the BBC and the Telegraph's Luke Edwards. Oh, he's doing a little dance with his head. He's so happy with that. (laughs) Uh, We are here to talk with Luke, get all the insider scoop, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, It's a year since the takeover. It's uh, we're we're partway through the first half of the season. We're just going to get Luke's sort of thoughts and feelings and and really get him to open up. You know, how are you today, Luke? Uh, I'm really good, thank you. I've just got back from Manchester. I was at the Manchester City versus Copenhagen game last night, but uh, I'm back in the beautiful, my beloved northeast. Perfect, excellent. Um, so Luke, one year since takeover. Let's mm-hmm. get in our time machines and take ourselves back exactly one year. Tell us what you were doing. Well, it, it, we, were, we were talking about this, Charlotte, just before we start to record. We think it is a year to the hour, literally the hour, that I was sat down for lunch with my mum and dad uh, on a day off in Whitley Bay. My main course had just arrived uh, and my phone rang and I, I can't say who it was, but it had been a very, very good source throughout the takeover. If you remember back for the torturous 18 months, uh, I was the voice of doom and cynicism and scepticism about the takeover going through. Now, this guy had been one of the main reasons um, for that, uh, very, very well placed in, in what was going on. And I actually said, oh, what the fuck does he want? Um, <laughs> as my food was steaming in front of me. Uh, and I took the phone call and my mum and dad describe it as my face went white, like all of the colour just kind of drained from my face. And I don't really remember what happened after that, but I remember shouting at my mum and dad, uh, the takeover's happening, the takeover's <laughs> happening. Um, and uh, I left, basically, instantly, uh, ran to my car, uh, drove home. Uh, you know, by then, Hans Free was on the phone. I was, I was calling people, I was calling my desk. They didn't believe me either because I'd been this kind of voice of cynicism that wasn't happening. But yeah, basically, I was told at that point that um, the Saudis had ceased the piracy operation. They'd agreed to pay a huge amount of compensation to the wronged parties and that the takeover was going through. It was absolutely a whirlwind. That day was one of the most brilliant, the most exhilarating 
the most thrilling days that I've had in my my 20 odd years as, as a sports journalist covering Newcastle. So it was incredible, but I, I still I'm still slightly annoyed that I didn't even get to have a mouthful of my uh, of my main course. Don't ask me what it was because I can't remember. Um, but yeah, shout, shouting. I'm surprised people didn't because it was in the middle of a restaurant that I shouted the takeovers happening, and I have a really loud voice. Uh, nobody seemed to take me seriously, but I did just leave, and that day was incredible. And and everything that's happened since, hasn't it? It's been it's been a brilliant year um one, one of the best years that I've, I've i've had covering newcastle probably going back to the you know the, the bobby robson bobby robson years when i first started out on the journal and the, and the champions league nights that we had then it's been great and um yeah we've got lots to talk about the first year but yeah that that day was mental uh, in, in a really really good way can't believe it's a year to the hour that's just i know isn't it it's amazing <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, it didn't break for another day. It sort of, it was, all of that happened, right? And then it was the next day around 5 p.m. that I think they actually broke yeah. the news. So, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, that 24 hours must have been pretty crazy. It was, yeah. Sorry, Adam. I was just going to say, Luke, you were kind of like my canary down the mine for this because because of your previous cynicism and because you was you were scrutinising all the reports Mm. For, for quite an extended period of time. Obviously, everyone was just willing it to happen. You seem to obviously like remove the emotion from that and was, were just trying to focus on well, what is actually happening rather than what we would like to happen or what we yeah. thought would happen. But then when you sent that tweet, which is like, get your cans in the fridge, that was like, <laughs> wh- that was like, for me, that was like, that, uh, that, that's when I realized it was happening because of you, because because of how pessimistic you'd been how yeah. cynical you'd been about the whole thing about the owners from years ago and then suddenly it was there it was happening the piracy mm. thing removed and then yeah it, it was just kind of whirlwind blur for like the that that, that next sort of like 24 48 hours I, i've gone back and looked at the tweet today adam and i've read the replies and they are just brilliant it's just like people like oh the people have just just lost their mind in the replies that tweet <laughs> and i can remember driving my phone's going beep 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 there's people trying to like ring me and i'm like putting them on divert because everyone who's got my number was basically like is this look seriously is this actually happening have you been hacked so I had to I had to put out when I got out of the car I had to put out a tweet saying I have not been hacked I actually do I do I do actually think that this takeover is now going to happen so yeah I had been and look it was never going to happen while you couldn't watch Premier League football legally in Saudi Arabia it, and if you think about it now when we take the emotion out of it all and look you know that that it was a tough period for everybody that and um, you know my uh, you know I don't help myself on social media sometimes I know that and people who know me. Uh, know that I, I do have a strange sense of humour, and but that was that was really really tough. We were all in lockdown, weren't we? And, and, and if you think it started in the January 2020, the first kind of rumour, and then we had the no red flags era. Do you remember the no red flags era, <laughs> which just went on and on and on that it's going to go through, and then in July it didn't go through, and then it was off, and there was no hope of it being revived. Um, which I did put out a tweet, which is shown to me sometimes in, I think, in September 2020, when I when I said it definitely wasn't going to happen, which it wasn't at that stage. It wasn't going to happen at that stage. Oh, 11, well, 13 months later, it, it finally happened. So, but it was a tough time. And yeah, I did just try and see through the emotion of, of it all. And um, I, I got I got quite a lot of abuse and a lot of stick um, from, from anonymous accounts. And even for me, I think that was quite tough. I, I don't, you know, I don't tend to worry at all about abuse on social media. But, it, you know, when you're sat in the house and you can't leave home 
and you're just looking through social media and your timeline is full of abuse just because you're saying, I don't think this takeover is going to happen. So people mistook that for me being anti-takeover. I've never been anti-takeover. I always wanted the takeover to happen. I wanted to get rid of Mike Ashley, the 14 depressing years of Mike Ashley, of fearing on my personal life that the conversations with The Telegraph were that I may well have to move down to Manchester and uproot my family from the Northeast. You know, I had people telling me, even after takeover happened, get out of the northeast, get out of Newcastle. We don't want you reporting on this football club. And it's like all I did was got the story right and told you it wasn't happening. And then I told you it was happening when it when it happened, uh, along with other people, not just me, of course. Um, and yeah, it was it was a tough, tough period. But the release, I think the release everybody felt I wasn't at the scenes at St. James's Park. I, I wasn't there with the cans and you know i did open a, a bottle of wine that evening make possibly even two um i'm not ever response to that charlotte but no i had you know we because my, I'm, my family are all newcastle fans you know i'm married to a newcastle fan so you know it was great but i think that scenes at st james's park i think part of us and i'm not a fan you know i'm not a fan but i do live in the city and um as i say married to, to a newcastle fan from, from a family of newcastle Knight fans those scenes at St. James's Park were were a, were a release, not just of the takeover happening, but it was the end of that 18 months, which felt like an eternity where fans were arguing with each other. It was really, really toxic. The club was poisonous. This is the Steve Bruce era. They didn't like the manager, didn't like the owner. We'd had enough, everybody associated with Newcastle United had had enough of Mike Ashley probably 10 years earlier. So those scenes on that day, the release at St. James's Park, and people from the outside the region didn't get that. They thought it was a celebration of Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle United Football Club. It wasn't about that. It was about this release of this, as I say, 14 years of misery, of 18 months of takeover, tedious takeover speculation. Uh, and it was this huge, wonderful release. And it was a great day. It was a great day for journalists. It's an even better day for supporters. Isn't it? And um, it's launched what we are now going to talk about, this really exciting... Uh, thrilling new era um, that probably, you know, Newcastle United are now a global force. And I don't use that word lightly, or they're certainly going to be a global force over the next sort of 10 years. Well, that's that's what your tweet said, isn't it? That Newcastle United are about to sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing you, but they're about to enter the global stage or something, but it's something very exciting is about to happen. Yeah. Um, you did a great article that's in the Telegraph uh, today, sort of assessing the first year, of the of the ownership of you graded them on all of their original mm -hmm. promises and where we're at on on that some some brilliant some less brilliant uh, lots of work to still be done and um, what's been sort of the most surprising part for you like what's been the most I guess pleasing and surprising because let's keep this fairly upbeat um how sensible it's been I think that 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 is what pleased me you know we've seen we've seen this summer we've seen the takeover of Chelsea and as you know, I do a, I do a transfer um, gossip podcast for the BBC as well. And I, I was saying that what Chelsea are doing is just a bit crazy. It seems a bit scattergun. Um, and so new owners can come in and they can be overexcited. And we all remember there was probably two months, wasn't there, from like October, November, December, maybe even three months, heading into that January transfer window where it was, they're going to sign Mbappe, they're going to spend 300 million in January. These are the players they can sign. This is who they're after. Um, that which manager are they going to get? It was Pochettino, wasn't it? Do you remember it was Pochettino? And then it was talk of Conte. And it was this kind of fantasy football stuff. Now, my, my probably my misgivings of, of the of the owners 
um, was that they were new to football and they had shown during the takeover saga that they were a little bit naive and they were a little bit prone to promising things that didn't happen. Uh, now we know with Amanda Stabley, she's always incredibly upbeat and incredibly positive. That's a default setting. But that had kind of scarred me a little bit during that 18 months. But the way they've handled the first year, the overall, the thing that pleases me to go to the question is just how sensible, methodical, serious it's been. Their recruitment has been really good. I, I was going to say brilliant, but I think it's been really, really good. That I think January was superb, what they did in January. Summer maybe have a little bit more misgivings about it, but January was superb. And the appointment of Eddie Howe to, to, to get rid of Steve Bruce, which had to happen, and should, he should have gone in the summer. I've said that many, many times before. To go and then get Eddie Howe, who's been a brilliant appointment, who I think has exceeded all of our expectations. I was quietly, quietly confident he would he would be very, very good. But I think he's been excellent. And I think that just the way they've done it, there's been a strategy, a clear strategy there. They haven't been ripped off. They've had this recruitment that, of buying good characters as well as good players. In January, they went for players with the exception of Bruno, who knew the Premier League who knew how to get out of the trouble they were in. And that was the first priority to get out of relegation trouble. Going into January, if you remember, I'm sure you do, Adam and, and Charlotte, they'd won one game. I was at Leeds when they ground out that 1-0 win, which felt massive at the time. But they, I was worried, even after they signed Trippier, that they were going to go down still. So to then finish the season 11th, brilliant from Eddie Howe, brilliant recruitment. But it's all been, it hasn't been showbiz hasn't been um fantasy football stuff it hasn't been new owners playing football manager it's been very very sensible and then to follow that up with the appointment of dan ashworth and um, as director of football and darren eels as chief executive serious quality experienced football people yeah it, it's the fact that actually rather than rather than be sort of get carried away they've been very sensible in everything they've done which is the way to run a football club luke you you talk about how you know they've how the owners kind of carried themselves and obviously they were a bit naive at the start. What kind of differences did you see between, again, the January transfer window was such a unique situation. We were rich. We were in the relegation zone. We didn't really know what was happening. What what, what kind of improvements or differences have you seen from, from how business was maybe conducted in January to how things have gone this summer? And obviously there's obvious reasons why they might have, might, might have gone the way it has. Yeah, I think behind the scenes, you have to remember, Adam, that, that January was actually a bit of a mess. It was incredibly chaotic and very, very stressful for, for all concerned. I know speaking to people involved in it, um, it was a bit of a mess. And they were being led down garden paths by agents. They were being tricked. They were being conned. They were being encouraged to spend a load of money on everyone. You know, players who were looking for a payday. Um, and, and they were wasting a lot of time and a lot of energy. And I think it was exhausting for them because of that lack of football expertise. And I think I, I've written this in the Telegraph several times. We all have to be incredibly thankful for Eddie Howe in January because he took control. When they went to Saudi Arabia after that, um, that Leeds 1-0 win, John Joe Shelby goal, bitterly cold. They flew out to Saudi Arabia um, and Eddie Howe, although that was a training camp, Eddie Howe effectively became de facto sporting director in that week. And he led what happened next uh, in terms of bringing the players in. Look, that's not to, 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 to lessen the impact that Amanda Stavely and the other co-owners had and, and Piff, of course, and, and the chairman. The chairman gave a wonderful speech to, to everybody there. And he, he promised Eddie Howe 
that he was going to give him everything he needed to get out of trouble. But we have to be very grateful they had that calming. And that is Eddie Howe, isn't it? He's sensible. He's not, again, he's not a showbiz manager. He doesn't say daft things. He doesn't self-publicize. He's just a very calm, calculated, sensible man. And I think he turned it around in January with the help of the owners and the support of the owners, the financial support. Um, and I think they learned a lot in January. I, I do think heading into the summer, I think if you asked Eddie Howe, he'd have probably been slightly worried it was going to be the same again. Uh, but they listened. And that's what they've done. That They have actually listened to the football expertise, something Mike Ashley never did. Mike Ashley cast aside football expertise. He never he, he, he didn't like football expertise. He didn't want to hear somebody telling him about football. It was the Mike Ashley way or no way. And he made a complete pig's ear of it over 14 years. These guys have listened and they brought in Dan Ashworth at the start of the window. And that just changed things. It calmed things down a little bit. I don't think the summer was perfect. I think if you say in May that your main priority to, is to add goals and creativity to your team, to then only sign one attacking player, albeit potentially a very, very good one in, in Isaac. Um, I, I don't think they got it all perfectly well, but it, as I go, keep going back to that word, sensible. It's been sensible, it's been calculated, it's been planned, it's been plotted, and it's been done in a way that has minimised or certainly reduced the risk of making costly mistakes. Yeah, I think that's that's it, isn't it? Like, Eddie Howe is this very calm. He's obviously got a less calm coach to his, to his right-hand side. Mm -hmm. Jason he's, enforcer. he's enforcer. He's <laughs> enforcer. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but he is. He's, this, he's, this, he's a steady ship kind of person, and I think... I think that's a really important point to make. We'll probably continue a little bit of takeover or the year since the takeover chat um, in part two, and then we'll talk about the season so far. But first, we have some messages from our uh, paying overlords. Um, if you don't want to hear them, you can join us on Patreon. It's £8 a month. You get tons and tons and tons of extra content. This week, I think we put out about four podcasts in the space of about 24 hours. Um, we There's so much to say about this mad club, so do come and join us uh, across on Patreon. Um, thank you so much. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
part two of the True Faith podcast. We are talking about the year that we never thought would happen. It's We got taken over 12 months ago and we are flying high. Um, we have Luke Edwards here talking uh, his insider scoops and Adam Widrington, of course. Um, I would have moved us on to how we've gone so far this season, but there seems to be a bit more we can sort of talk about with regards to the takeover. You know, um, Luke, you've you've talked about how uh, the sensibleness that the that that's been the, the most pleasing sort of surprise uh, since we've been taken over. What? And I, I want to be constructive about it. I don't want there's yeah, nothing. Well. But what, what do you think they need to focus on now? What do you think needs to happen now? That's a brilliant. But it's a brilliant question because it's not. It's not my job, and I never will be. You know me. I'm never going to be a happy clapper. I'm never just going to sit there and say everything is awesome like the Lego movie. And <laughs> I, I, um, it's been brilliant. It's been great. It's been wonderful. But we're a year into a project. They are, and, and I've talked about this in the Telegraph, and I think this is very, very important. They have set out a couple. There's been a few things. We'll talk about the little things around the edges that haven't happened. They talked about Alan Shearer and Kevin Keegan being ambassadors. Neither of those things have happened. They've flirted with fan representation on the board. That hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. We do still have the sports washing aspect of it all there. That hasn't been addressed. I don't want to go into that now particularly, but we do always have to be mindful of what this is about from a Saudi Arabian perspective. Uh, and it is about cleansing the reputation of a pretty, you know, uh, um, I'm going to choose my words carefully, um, a controversial regime by our own Western morals and standards. Um, so we have to be aware of that. There's also been this idea about open communication that we're going to have, we're going to be told about everything all the time. We haven't had that either. We haven't actually heard from Al Ramiyan. I think that is going to change to mark the anniversary of the takeover. Uh, but we haven't heard from him since October last year. We don't really hear from the owners. From a journalistic point of view, we've not been able to speak to Dan Ashworth or Darren Eels. It's all in-house media. That may be for most fans. They probably don't care about that from my perspective as a journalist. They do. But the real test, well, that's all the trimmings around it. Every big decision, what's important, getting a manager, investing in the team, they've been brilliant. I've given them A's for both of those things. And that's fundamentally, most of the people who listen to this, that is all they care about. Where we are, though, is we are, and I've said this over and over again, at the moment, the project to me feels more like Leicester City than Manchester City. And what I mean by that is Newcastle are now in a wonderful position to be the best of the rest. Uh, and I think with another two transfer windows, I think we can confidently talk about Newcastle being it being a big seven and Newcastle being that seventh team. Um, but that really ultimately isn't that hard to do if you've got a lot of money and a good manager. They're doing that brilliantly. They're on track for it. They're doing wonderfully. And actually being the best of the rest after the last 14 years, wonderful. I'm not going to criticise that. And I don't think supporters should criticise that because of where we're coming from. But eventually we know what they've promised. They've promised we want to be Manchester City. We want to be in the Champions League. We want to win the league. We want to win trophies. We've had the uh, the chairman talking about turning the club into a £3.5 billion asset like Chelsea are. They are a long way off from that. A very, very long way off. And I think that the gap that they are can get to now, I think they've got an outside chance getting into Europe this season, but I'll be very, very happy with top 10. Very happy with top 10. And I, I think most sensible from the conversations I have, most Newcastle fans will be happy with top 10 and some cut runs. That's great. 
But eventually you have to bridge that gap to the top six. Now, getting into the top six, the wage budget of Newcastle is tiny compared to the top six. You are going to have problems holding on to your best players if you can't pay them the money. And if we take Bruno, for example, Bruno is going to have admirers. There's going to be interest in him and there's going to be interest in him clubs who are willing to pay him £300,000 a week. Newcastle aren't at that level yet. So they're going to have this challenge to hold on to players and they're going to have to bridge that gap. They want to be in the top six, but I think that gap from seven to six now is the biggest leap they will have to make. And I think that's going to be very, very tough for them to bridge. You've then got the gap from top six, which is Tottenham, I would say for, for argument's sake, is Tottenham Arsenal. You've then got to try and get into the top four. You've then got to try and win the Premier League. Both of those, I think Newcastle are miles off doing that still, but we are a year into the project. So let's not get ahead of ourselves, but further down the line, there's a lot of work still to do. The wage budget is a mid-table Premier League team. It really is. So until we see the new sponsorship deals coming in, which I hope will start coming in soon, um, Newcastle have a ceiling, I think, at the moment, which is seventh. And I think we should all be very, very happy with that for the next two years, maybe even three years of of trying to win a cup, playing in Europe every season. That'll be absolutely wonderful. I don't know about you guys, but that'll be absolutely brilliant, I think, for for Newcastle. But eventually they need to get into the top. They've promised the earth. They have promised that they are going to win the Premier League within five to ten years. Now, we'll judge them on that as it it happens. But they are going to have to dramatically improve that squad, the squad depth, uh, and that takes a lot of money. How much... How much do you think Eddie Howe is sort of, um, I guess, um, compensating for in terms of a, a squad that really probably shouldn't be anywhere near a top eight? Yes, we've got a couple of additions uh, very, very recently, but in terms of, you know, none of none of this talk about you know, Champions League getting into Europe, um, making progress to get at the top four, all this kind of stuff that that doesn't happen without just you know, money aside, frills aside, that hard work on the training ground from Eddie Howe. And like you said, you know, the fact he was essentially not quite running the club from a footballing perspective, but he was obviously, uh, he was heavily involved in transfers in January. He will have had mm. a big say, at least in the summer, even if he wasn't necessarily concluding those deals or, or, yeah, or exactly. totally yeah. signing them off. But none of that, none of that's really means anything unless there's a performance on the pitch from the team, that the there's a togetherness there. There's actually something to sell Mm-hmm. to players in summer. How how important and, and, and what kind of reputation has Eddie Howe sort of carved out for himself in these last 12 months from where he started from? Because he's now surely, he was never going to be a draw in January, but since January, other players and agents will see how he's improved players, how he's improved the, 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 the squad togetherness yeah. and the unity. You know, what, what kind of draw, what kind of reputation does Eddie Howe have now? From, from 12 months back. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because I would say to you now that Eddie Howe is a, looks a better manager now than he did 12 months ago. Does that make sense? Because when he was at Bournemouth, we all knew he was good. We all knew the job he'd done at Bournemouth, but it was completely different size of challenge. Um, it's a completely different club, completely different footballing environment, completely different city, place to live, area of the country. And I think you're right. I think if... Um, if England were to dispense with Gareth Southgate at the end of the World Cup, I think the FA would love Eddie Howe. I think he is now the probably along with Graham Potter, but Graham Potter's gone to Chelsea. Those two are the outstanding 
British managers of their generation, domestic managers. I don't think you would have said that about Eddie Howe 12 months ago. You said he was very, very good. But that shows you what the, the profile of the job he's done at Newcastle. He has improved, I would say, uh, uh, pretty much everyone. I'm trying to think of a player who's gone backwards since he came in. I can't think of one. I can't think of a player who's got worse. Manquillo, maybe. Does anybody care? Not really. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, but it's true, though, isn't it? You know, you look at Emil Kraft, bog standard, poor, I would say borderline poor right back until Eddie Howe came in. So he has the ability to improve players on the coaching coaching ground. And I think you're right. I think that players and agents will look at going to Newcastle now and say, Eddie Howe is going to make my client better. And I think that's massive. But I think that we, and I will say this now, Eddie Howe is going to have a tough patch at Newcastle at some point. It could come this season. It could come next season. We'll talk about the problems next season. This season, they haven't had a great start. It's not been wonderful. They couldn't win games. They were drawing games that they were winning last season, uh, at the end of last season anyway. But the fans have to stay with him because we have to remember, I talk about this about management all the time. He's done a brilliant job. Don't forget the brilliant job he's done when he has his sticky spell. And I just, I would plead with all Newcastle United fans, to stay with him then. Don't get overexcited by all this talk of we want to be in the Champions League, we want to be top six. Just, it's top ten. And that's where I think that Eddie Howe needs people above him to come out and say that. Because as long, if you leave that void, that vacuum, where nobody has said what the priorities are. I took a call this week from somebody saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing Eddie Howe might be under a bit of pressure because the, uh, the board think that he should be top six. No, they don't. But come out and say it. Don't let Eddie Howe sink by those sort of rumours. Because if someone's calling me about that, they'll be calling other people about that. And then, therefore, you might get some stories saying Eddie Howe needs to be top six this season to keep his job. It creates an artificial pressure. So I think that's brilliant. Uh, I think he's done brilliantly. And I just hope that, you know, I think this season, top ten is fine, as I say. If they can get into Europe, this is another worry that you have moving forward. That squad cannot cope with playing Thursday and Sunday. So you could get into Europe and have this brilliant season this year where they got into Europe. But then next year, the league form could suffer. We saw it with Alan Pardew, didn't we, all those years ago? We had freak season, finished fifth. Next season, they almost got relegated, but did well in Europe. So we have to balance everything out. And that's why I just hope when I talk about the open communication and moan about it, we need Ashworth and Eels to come out and talk to us and say, this is what we want this season. This is what we expect. This is what we think of the job, Eddie Howe. Don't leave that vacuum to be filled by erroneous, spurious stories, which I'm afraid in my profession will appear and do appear if you haven't set, got anybody setting out what the objectives are this season. I think that's a perfect segue into talking about this season so far and how you feel it's going. You've kind of touched on it there. You know, we are, we did, we drew a lot of games that we would have won last season. Um, we are now hopefully on a winning streak after beating Fulham at a time of recording. We are uh, going to play Brentford at the weekend. Um, last season, our target was not get, don't get relegated, right? Yeah. That was, that was the goal. What it what is the goal this season? Like, what 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 are we aiming for, and and how do you perceive our ability to get there? I think, yeah, to talk what you want to see from a manager and a team and a club is progress year on year, don't you? I think that's what we want. That is what we are settling for. Progress this season looks like, and this is based on conversations that I've had with people behind the scenes at St James's Park. Progress this season is top ten cup runs. That's what they want. They don't want to be worried at any stage about relegation. Now, so far, so good. It hasn't been a great start to the season, 
But then when we talk about the games, like you said there, Charlotte, we're, we're, we're drawing games that we were winning last season. The home game against Aston Villa, the home game against Leicester, those two games could have easily ended up in draws and, 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 would, and would have been fair results. That's all that's happened this season is football. You know, there's always a massive slice of good fortune in football. The team have been playing better. I think they're playing a more attractive style of football. I think there's been progression there as well. Um, so I think all, all so far so good. I've not been worried or alarmed at any stage this season. I haven't come away from a game thinking even Bournemouth. I mean, Eddie was really down on Bournemouth. Maybe the last twenty minutes were a bit shit. Actually, yeah that that was the only that was the only bad spell they've had when they were lumping balls straight out of play and were didn't have Chris Wood on them crossing the ball from the halfway line for a non-existent target man. That was the only time where it's been bad, but there's been progress. And I, I think a good season looks like, hopefully, I think the league cup is massive for them. Um, and I, I, um, I said this to, to, to Mark Douglas of, uh, of the I newspaper, formerly my former colleague on the journal, just about 20 minutes ago. You know, if they, they've got that crystal palace league cup game, haven't they? Just before the world cup break. I hadn't realized that they're sneaking in around the Carabao cup the week before Christmas after the world cup. So those two games, bookending the World Cup international break. If they can win both of those, I think that's absolutely massive because the league will take care of itself. I, I, I think Newcastle will comfortably finish in the top 10 this season. But to add excitement and jeopardy and to really get the adrenaline pumping, we all want to be in the latter stages of, of, of a knockout competition. We can only be in a domestic competition at the moment. Uh, I said we then. Oh, dear. <laughs> Freudian oh slip. I know. Oh dear, my my, my late Norwich supporting family will be will be disowning me. Um, but w- I mean, we from a media perspective and a supporters perspective, we all want to be in those. Save. Yeah, those. Thank you. Uh, on those big games. So those two Carabao Cup games for me already. I'm looking at the games until Boxing Day. I think those two games are as important as any other there will be this season because if they can win, beat Crystal Palace at home, then get a nice kind draw and win again, we'll go into 2023 with a cup run top 10 in the Premier League and I think that's really really good season for Newcastle this year I agree I agree I think you know it is easy to get carried away isn't it as a supporter like Adam what did you what were you hoping for at the beginning of this season I mean my pre-season prediction I I, I thought we might finish seventh not necessarily that I would be disappointed if it was eighth or ninth um I think anything above seven is is very fanciful um especially as we said we needed firepower in the in the final third. We've got Isak, which is probably a better player than any of us would have expected to arrive in that window. However, it's it's it's, it's one body instead of maybe two bodies, and, and maybe in the long run, this will be for the best because we've got a, a top top talent who I think is going to be a, a world class striker um, in his career, absolutely. But I think, yeah, I would have expected a bit more there. Um, where, where I think it's sobering. I think when you and, and, and no disrespect to the players, but when you know you see the likes of Jacob Murphy getting a start and Chris Wood being, you know, these players who we we wouldn't necessarily even like Jamal Lascelles. I thought Jamal Lascelles would be gone this summer. I realise why they've held held on to him, and I think it's more his personality than his playing style. Um, and I think that's important, and I think that's that's a sensible way to do. We don't totally derail that dressing room. It has to be done gradually in stages and respectfully as well. So. And yeah, you talk about progress. All I wanted was progress, Luke, like you were saying before. You know, yes, we've drawn a lot at the start of this season. However, we've only lost one, and that was in the 98th minute at Anfield. So spinning it around that way, 
defeats for Newcastle were 10 a penny. Now it feels like a team really has to go out of the way. They really have to perform to get something out of us now. And I think that's the difference. The progress has is tangible. The performances are different. We're having more shots. We're having more possession. Like that, These are all tangible differences that have been made over the last 12 months. So from a fan's perspective, I'm just continuing to go to the game and match days and really enjoying it again and being more... And yeah, the last couple of home games have been a little bit flat because they haven't quite gone our way, but that's part of it. That's part of it. It's not gonna, we're not going to win every game. We're not going to draw every game. We are going to have defeats. Luke, as you mentioned, Eddie Howe is going to have a couple of sticky patches. That's just football. It happens to yeah. every manager, regardless who you're managing. So where we are now is still beyond what I thought we would be in, in, in this 12 months. Um, this, the squad has already started to shape. But I think just generally our play and performance, even if the points don't haven't necessarily matched them so far this season, I think have been of the quality that we probably were hoping for and expecting. And the fact that he is getting a bit more of a tune out of the, you, know, you know, those players who are really playing for their future, like Almiron, the fact that if he can continue to get a tune out of him until obviously maybe January and and and, and next summer transfer window as well, there, there's going to be a lot of turnover. But yeah, I'm really pleased with, with Eddie Howe. He seems in control. He seems to have a plan. He seems to know what he's doing. And I felt that about him from the very, very start when he first... Um, when he first was appointed, I I was the, the the major appeal for me was his his work ethic and the fact that he's he's got humility. What was he what 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 was he criticized for? His 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 defensive coaching. What did he go and do? He went and hung out with Diego Simeone and, and, and learned from the best. And what's happened? He's come back and we're seeing the fruits of that labor, that effort, that that desire to, to improve himself as well as everybody else around him and this club. So I am absolutely behind Eddie Howe. I think the mood is he's helped to create here as well. Obviously, the takeover and everything is part of that, but he's the one who's who, who keeps the mood. You know, he, he, he he's the one who's in control of what the mood could be on the pitch from results and with the players as well. So I'm really pleased with how. The camp feels how we can see that tangible progress on the pitch, um, and I think hopefully he's able to grow with the club. But Luke, I just wanted to ask you because it's difficult, isn't it, with expectations? Because in one hand, it's like, well, we want this, we want silverware, we want leagues, we want. But on the other hand, it's we're going to be sustainable, we're going to mm-hmm. be sensible, we're not going to mm-hmm. completely um, spend. We're not. Gonna, we're not going to do a Nottingham Forest. We're not going to spend the majority of our three years worth of FFP. Yeah. Um, expenditure in, in one season. We're going to kind of sort of do it a bit slowly, but th- do you think there's a, a contradiction there in, yeah. in those two in those two kind of notions? Yeah, they need to be careful about over-promising. That's what I mean. O- o- over, overreaching in what they can deliver and um, what they say they can deliver. There's, there's, there's a big difference between that. And I think that's that's where there is the slight doubt for me because as I touched on earlier, it's incredibly hard to bridge that gap. I think it took Manchester City a billion pounds in transfer fees alone to win their first title. I think it will take Newcastle a billion pounds in transfer fees alone to get into the top four. And even then, it's probably not guaranteed because everybody's got money. Newcastle aren't the only... Again, let's hammer this home. They have the richest owners in the world. They are nothing like the richest club in the world. Nothing. They are. Their income is so way far short of those top six clubs. Manchester United are always going to be there. 
Manchester City are literally the richest club in the world because of their myriad of sponsorship deals with companies from Abu Dhabi, which Newcastle are now prevented from doing because the Premier League panicked and thought they were going to have another Manchester City on their hands. But that's still hamstrung. Hamstr- not hamstrung. They're hamstrung. They can't just chuck money at everything. It has to be sustainable, gradual success. But that takes time and there will be setbacks. They might finish fifth one year and then they might finish seventh. Do you know what I mean? That If they get into Europe, can they sustain the league form with the squad they've got? No. So there is going to be more gradual. So you just need to be careful. You just need to take a step back sometimes and just realise that it is a long-term project. And that's the key. It's a long-term project. We Newcastle United supporters have a far better football club than they have had at any point probably in the last 20 years. Be thankful for that and have some faith and some confidence that the owners have ambition. That's all we want. That's all I heard before, for 14 years. All we want is their ambition. You've got that now. So the only thing that has disappointed me, Adam, were the boos against Bournemouth. Yeah, and was, the fact that it was a small, it was it was a small, small group. It was a small group. It's terrible, but it's it, a small it was, group. But, it, but the atmosphere was flat against Bournemouth. When they were playing badly, it was kind of like, oh, turn up and we're come on, enter, entertain me, entertain me. And that's not... The Newcastle have been such a powerful force, particularly at home, because they haven't waited to be entertained, the fans. They've been roaring and cheering and creating this partisan atmosphere, regardless of the performance, because there were some pretty crap home performances last season, but the atmosphere wasn't. And we just need to be a little bit careful. I've seen it happen um, with the Bobby Robson years, where it was brilliant for two or three years when they were on that upward trajectory. But as soon as there was a little stumble, St. James's Park became negative and it lost the thing that makes it brilliant. Now, what Eddie Howe, and since the takeover, and what Eddie Howe has done so well is created that bond, that synergy between supporters and team. And in my my understanding of Newcastle United as a football club, and I've said this on the national media all the time, it's never more powerful when it has that. So when you you over-promise, to go back to my original point, you just need to be a little bit careful that you carry people with you and you don't suddenly say, oh, we're going to be in the Champions League in five years' time, because they might not be. And you don't want Newcastle to lose that power that it has at the moment. So, I, I, and that is a very small minority. Right? You're very hard, right to Charlotte to, to Charlotte to say that. It was a very small minority. But it was leading up to that. It was a flat atmosphere against Bournemouth. Um, and I think we just need to keep what's made it so great since the takeover is that passion and enthusiasm and excitement on a match day in the stands, which translates to the players on the pitch. I agree, and I'm certainly not trying to defend the flat atmosphere, but there was a minute silence before that game. There a was strange a strange one, yeah. Yeah, there was no music before for the 15 minutes before, so it was no flags, no, no flags. Flag. So it was already a bit weird, and people, I guess, as well, you know, were impacted differently by the death of the Queen. But like, people didn't. Re- I think people didn't really know how to behave. Like, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, should I sing? I don't know. I think another thing is actually a lot of a lot of atmosphere this season, certainly at home, is being created by controversial refereeing um, that has riled up the crowd. Like, mm-hmm. think about Man City. I think it was obviously the, the way we performed and the goals. It was going to go that way anyway. But pockets when it really, really felt like a cauldron at times when it was, you know, the referee had made a, a bad a bad call, and the whole of the stadium was together. It was like mm-hmm. everyone was you know, knitted together with with the injustice of what they were saying. And it just riled everyone up and it created like a bit of a roar around the stadium. That's happened a few times. And maybe, yeah, 
it obviously did a little bit at Crystal Palace with with with, with the goal that never was. But I, I kind of feel that there wasn't much controversy in, in in the Bournemouth game. There wasn't much that happened really to get people kind of mm-hmm. you know whipped up. And we we shouldn't have to be. We shouldn't have to wait for controversial decisions to whip up the, the fans into a frenzy. But I think you're right. It, it's it's still we're still in a period of transition as a fan base from what our expectations are and what we can come to expect on a match day because we're so conditioned, aren't we? We're so institutionalized by by an Ashley era that lasted yeah. a long time, and it's difficult for us to sort of make that change. And yeah, maybe maybe there is a bit of impatience and not quite arrogance that we should, oh, well, we should be beating Bournemouth now. It should, People it were saying that though, weren't they? People were saying that we should beat Crystal Palace and Bournemouth at home. It was like the narrative before the game. It's like, just calm down a little bit. <laughs> and and also, but I, mean, I would say this, and it's not to blow smoke up Newcastle United fans' backside, but the fans helped keep the team up last season. Without doubt, without a doubt, they helped by creating that atmosphere at St. James's Park. And teams won't want to come. So the biggest trick to beat Newcastle at St. James's Park is to let the fans turn against their team. It, it goes back for as long as I've been in sports journalism. That is what every single manager, every single opposition player is. They'll be loud for 20 minutes, um, frustrate them. Then they'll get on the fans' backs and we'll go on and win. And we don't want to go back to that. We don't, And that's all I'm saying. It's just, it's just I, literally, I haven't even thought about it. It just comes to my head now that we want to keep that that cauldron of positivity that the takeover unleashed a year ago today. That's what it sparked from those scenes at St. James's Park when people were celebrating wildly, flares are going off to the match day experience. The longer that lasts, the better. My worry is if you overpromise people about what you are going to be able to achieve, people will a negativity will creep in. So that's my only advice to the owners, really, is just calm down on the we want to be the next Manchester City. I, because Manchester City are light years. They are they're in a different stratosphere to where Newcastle United are at the moment. And it's going to be very, very difficult to close that gap in five to ten years, I would have said. Doesn't mean they can't, but it's gonna be very, very difficult. It's interesting, isn't it? It's the same thing as what you were saying about, you know, people phoning you and saying there's, you know, his job's in danger or like he needs to get them into a higher position. Once people start to latch on to an idea like that, if what's happening on the pitch doesn't exactly marry up. There's a sort of, but I was told, I was yeah, told yeah. that this I read this, happen. I read this. I, yeah. Eddie Howe's under pressure because I read it somewhere or somebody on a on a talk show said it or it was said on Sky Sports, a pundit said it. Then it creates a narrative, doesn't it? That That's the way yeah. basic, basically football works. And I guess people feel like they're being deceived in some way. Like I read that, I heard that, like why is that not happening? Or like, mm-hmm. so I, I can understand it. But yes, I think, I think, um, you know, I, I want us to be I want us to be seventh and and have a really good cup run this season. I, I'd love us to be you know in the top six next season. I don't know that like what I would love to happen and what I think will happen are two slightly different yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, and you have to be able to keep them separate, don't you, Charlotte? You need to like, I, yeah, we all want to dream, we all want to be excited, we all want to have the. But that goes back to the word ambition. At least the football club has ambition now. At least we know. In an ideal world, that is where they want to be. We didn't have that. And I'm going to go, it predates the Mike Ashley era. There wasn't that for 20 years, really. From the moment Bobby Robson left in, what was that, 2004? The club went into decline. It's now 2022. So we've had one year of these new owners. They've done so much right. They really have. And it, and it is a completely different football club. But just, just be careful. That's why I want them to talk. That's why I want Dan Ashworth to come out and say, Eddie Howe's doing a great job. We think top 10 would be really good this season. 
and I, I think from the fan base perspective, I don't blame people just wanting to shake off only uh, supporting a, a really bleak football club. I think maybe the impatience has come from honestly. I, ju- I just want to. I just want to flush away all that Ashley stuff, and I want to start afresh. And there's obviously lots of kind of remnants of of the past era that will st- still be lingering for for a couple of years, really, notably. The playing staff on contracts who can't all be shipped off and shipped out, shipped out at the same time. Um, but I think I can forgive fans for just wanting to. I don't want to support a rubbish football club. We're a good team now, and, and I will now adjust my expectations to, to match what I what I believe we are and what we can be. So I, I think there's, you know, I, I do it's sympathize. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're all just desperate to just to get away from what was supporting a really, really awful football club for a long time. And now we want to just fully enjoy clean slate. We're mint now. Let's just focus on that. But I'd like to win something. I'd like to win something. That's what I'd like. I would like to celebrate a trophy. Um, I'm getting old now. You know, I'm getting on a little bit. Oh, hey. (laughs) No, you're not. I am. I'm, I'm not a young man anymore. You know, the man that stares back at me on these TV Zoom screens and, and <laughs> when I'm, on, when I'm on television, not to boast, uh, when I'm on television, uh, when, I, when I look at the mirror every night when I go to bed, there's, 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 an old, there's an old man looking back at me now. And I've done this job. You should quite get a long him time. out of your house. That's creepy. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he, t- he touches me as well, Charlotte. Um, so um, uh, that's, wow. gone down, that's gone down, a, gone down an interesting <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, but I'm not. I'm not young anymore. I've done this job for a long time, more than two decades covering Newcastle. I've lived in Newcastle for 26 years, um, and I, 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 I would like them to win something. I want to go to that party, um, yeah, and I think I think we all do. So we, and I'll take a league cup. League cup will do me to start for starters. You know, That's very good of you. Yeah, I take the league cup. The rest all of right. English football would just like to roll over and let Newcastle win the league cup. That make me very happy. Thank you. On that happy note, come on, Newcastle, let's win the League Cup and make Luke Edwards happy. Um, well, the old man gets him. <laughs> I can't wait to see Luke Edwards' Luke League Cup final winning dance. On my Zimmer oh, my that'll, be, that'll go viral. That's going to be very special. Thank you, Luke, for joining us. Thank you, Adam, for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As as ever, we're on Patreon. I won't hammer that home too much, but do think about joining us there. We'll be back with a full free podcast after uh, Brentford at home. Thank you and take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.